Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Christine Wilford. Christine is the founder of the Feral Cat Spay Neuter Project located in Linwood, Washington. Christine, I'd like to welcome you back to the show. Thank you for having me. So for those of you who uh, weren't aware, Christine was episode number 44. So all you have to do is go to the communitycatspodcast.com and put into the search bar episode number 44, or just search Wilford and her episode will, will come up. And that's where we talk about her background, her history, her uh, involvement with uh, spaying and neutering thousands and thousands of cats uh, in Washington. But today we're going to focus on another area of her specialty, which is uh, geriatric cats. Uh, so for those of us who have older cats, who have brought in older cats off the streets, there's so many different topics and areas. And I brought Christine back on the show to talk about that issue because I think it's really important for us to be aware of all the all the situations that you run into as your as your cat ages. So Christine, I was wondering if you could touch upon some of the, the key areas that you've seen in your practice in assisting geriatric cats. What are the with the key conditions that you've seen? Well the key conditions are are conditions. That's one of the first things I have to cover with people is age itself is not a disease. Otherwise a lot of us are already in trouble. And so people ask, you know, when is my cat geriatric? Well, that's a random number. You can pick one, eight years, 10 years, 12 years. That doesn't matter. What matters is the cat's health, just like it matters with us. So as cats age, there are general conditions that we start to see develop. The one that most people know about is kidney failure. It's got a lot of different names, kidney dysfunction, um, renal failure, renal dysfunction, renal insufficiency. All those things mean the same thing, that the kidneys aren't working like they did when they were brand new. A second common condition that we'll see in some cats is thyroid disease. So this is a, an overactive thyroid. It's different from what dogs commonly get, which is underactive thyroid. People get both conditions. Cancer, of course, is way up there and, and geriatric populations that can be caused by something or it can be unknown cause, which is most of them that we see. And diabetes may or may not be age related. It's believed right now to be more dietary, but certainly we don't see it in, in juveniles as much as we see it in older cats. So those, those are kind of the big the big ones that we see, people have to be careful not to say, oh, well, my cat was losing weight. He's getting old. That's fine. He's getting old and he's losing weight. But getting old is not a reason for losing weight. There is something else. My cat died of old age. Well, probably not. It died of organ failure, cancer, or something like that. So we associate age with conditions, but age itself is not a disease and not a cause of conditions. It's just that there's a higher population 
as you get older, your risk factors potentially could get higher but for contracting one of these conditions. But you did bring up a very interesting fact, which has actually fascinated me, is a, a question you know, about diet. Not only diet for house cats, but I would assume it'd probably be this almost the same, that we should strive for the same goals for the diet for our community cats. Do you have any specific recommendations for diet for cats? There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot of information out there that all sounds good and marketing is pretty strong. But if you look at what we recommend for people to eat, the ideal diet, that changes every couple of years um, (laughs) because we don't know what the ideal diet is. There's been even less research done in cats. And so to, to hang our hat on this is the right thing and this is the wrong thing, that that makes people feel good to have answers, but the reality is we're not really sure. There There is one principle that I think is well-validated in the scientific literature, and that is that animal protein is required for cats. The corollary to that is that dry cat food generally does not have sufficient animal protein. If you read a cat food label, it'll have a protein percentage But that does not tell you the percentage of digestible protein, animal protein, plant protein, poor quality protein, high quality protein. It's sort of like saying there are five cars in the parking lot. Well, are they Ferraris or are they Hyundais or are they diesel trucks or what are they? So hair is not digestible, but it's pretty much all protein. So a can of hair would be 100% protein. And I think we all know that that probably wouldn't be nutritious to feed our cats. So in general, canned food is always better. There is a feline specialist that lectures around the world. And I heard him say, we are killing our cats feeding them dry food. And that sounded pretty desperate, but the point that he was making was that we are chronically underfeeding animal protein to cats that only get dry cat food. If they have normal kidneys, dry cat food is not a problem for hydration. If they have any condition that causes them to urinate more than normal, then they're going to be further dehydrated by dry cat food. If you eat a bunch of crackers, you get thirsty. And if you don't have enough water to drink or you simply can't drink enough water to correct that hydration, then you stay dehydrated. So those are the two principles I I push to my clients and, and colony people is if you can feed canned cat food, do that. That's better. Of course, there are cats that are dry cat food addicts, and those are pet cats and feral cats um, and everything in between. And if they're willing to starve and not eat because you don't put dry cat food out, then you have to put dry cat food out. There's no other way to, to feed them, and cats will indeed starve themselves waiting for the right thing to eat. They sound as stubborn as many of our toddler children. Yes, and sometimes more. <laughs> I think toddlers, at least mine, would eventually eat. But I've, I've definitely met cats. It's not uncommon for cats to start mobilizing fat in their bodies to cover the calories they're not eating. And that can lead to a, a condition in some cats called fatty liver or hepatic lipidosis, which can be fatal if not aggressively treated. So we don't want to starve a cat into eating what we think is best for it. 
Yeah, it's um, that it requires a feeding tube sometimes when you're in the hepatic lipidosis stage, and it's not it's not fun. Yeah, the other piece about diet is cats are not goats. Last time I checked, goats can eat vegetables and plants and all those things just fine. They don't generally eat meat. But I noticed that the the most expensive canned foods out there, you pop the lid and you see carrots and peas and yams and cranberries and all this other stuff. And there's something in our brain that says, oh, our grandmother would be so proud of us for eating this. That must mean it's good for our cats. And it's actually not. I think of those pieces of vegetables in there as number one, a marketing attack on my brain. Um, Number two, is filling space that could have been filled by meat for those packages that are so expensive. And number three, it actually changes the cat's physiology. If we look at biochemistry of herbivores and carnivores, the the way the body processes food through the, the blood, the kidneys and all that route, you actually change the pH in cats that eat more plant origin food than animal origin food. So those vegetables, your cat might love them, but I love M&Ms. <laughs> Doesn't mean that's so good for me. Yeah. Yep. So, so don't make yourself say, oh, I've got to buy the $2 can of cat food because that's better than the 79-cent can. A lot of the cheaper cat foods are actually higher in animal protein than the more expensive ones that contain a lot of vegetables. So just look at labels, look at the food. First three ingredients need to be animal origin protein. Looking for a great tool to help educate your neighbors about community cats? Check out this sign available from the folks at Lumen LS, a life-saving organization from Broward County, Florida, that believes no cat should be left behind. This sturdy, bright orange sign featuring an ear-tipped cat would be great for cat colony caretakers, shelters and rescues, spay-neuter clinics, or municipalities and animal control organizations. Education about the correct ways to manage community cats is exploding in the U.S., especially in the last five years. This sign will help you let your community know that ear-tipped cats have been fixed and vaccinated and pose no threat to them. The community cat sign comes complete with all of the hardware you need to post it, Buying and posting the sign will help move animal welfare forward and improve outcomes for cats in your area. You can view and purchase the signs directly from our Facebook page at Lumen LS. They also have a colorful informational brochure about community cats plus lots of other resources. Support the Community Cats Podcast and LumenLS.org by going to LumenLS on Facebook today. For our older cats or for our colony cats in general, you're saying even if we're in a like a cold, wintry area, we should really strive to find a way to get them some wet food at some points in time, you know, during the winter, whether it's using hand warmers under the bowls like we've been doing with water or just finding some way so that that food won't freeze um, to get it to the cats. Yeah, I think as difficult as that sounds, that is a really, really good effort to put forward. Generally, if you can try to insulate the the feeding areas, you know, I'm sure everybody does that anyway. We don't have to here because we don't really get that cold. But veterinarians get ice packs with with vaccine and drug shipments, and we never, ever have a way to get rid of all of those. So if you want some really good packs that you can heat in a microwave and they hold the heat for quite a while, 
those are going to be free and they're bigger and they're going to provide you more heat than the hand warmers will. And that's what I would recommend if you can, you know, and if you, if you can't, then, then you can't, but cats don't drink as much in the cold weather as they do in warmer weather. And so when you feed them dry food in the cold, then they're a little more prone to getting even more dehydrated. And that by itself can be pretty hard on them. You add in the fact that the dry food is more plant material, which changes their pH, which promotes crystal formation in the urinary tract, along with dehydration, which promotes crystal formation in the urinary tract. Now you've got a recipe for some trouble. So I would say if you can provide a good water source that can stay thawed for a bit and try to provide canned food. You can heat the canned food, put heaters around the bowl. Anyone that has electric access, of course, can plug in a heated a heated bowl. I have a heated bowl for my cats, and they like it better when it evaporates so they can sit in it. And so <laughs> sitting on their hot bed that they're also provided, they like sitting in the hot water bowl. Um, (laughs) but it makes a really great food bowl. That's also heated. If you have electricity, of course, not everybody has that, but I would say, yeah, I think it is important to try to do that. Is it vital? No, you do what you can. I mean, that's the nature of what we're all doing with these cats is you do what you can. You're doing an amazing thing, no matter what you're doing. So, so I want to ask you a question that I've been receiving from some of our listeners, um, about, retiring ferals, you know, from a colony. So say they're seemingly, you know, expressing some old, some conditions maybe. So then there's the theory of, well, maybe we should bring them in, have them go to foster care or have them get adopted by maybe one of the caretakers. What are your thoughts on that issue and the thoughts about, you know, providing supportive care to those cats? That's an excellent question. And I get that all the time. I I think I'm going to answer that in terms of pet cats as well as community cats, because this is a dilemma that everybody enters into with their own. And when I was younger and I knew everything, I had my plan. My plan was every animal I had that got cancer was going to have chemo and surgery and blah, blah, blah. And that made my life easy because I had a plan. Well, of course, as, as we go through situations, we learn and we change our minds. And now that I'm wise and I don't know everything, really the issue becomes don't make a decision until you're in the moment of having to make the decision. And I don't mean that in, in the minute. I mean, this animal at this time with this condition, with what's going on in your life right now, then you use the factors that are in your world to decide. And so that means your your pet cat that hides under the bed, if you look at it to find it to give it a pill, maybe that's not the cat that you want to do sub-Q fluids every day and hormone injections and medications and blah, blah. However, if you have a cat like mine that I could give IV injections with no one holding the cat and I could medicate him and do all those things, he's a cat that got more care. So the same holds true for our community cats. As we all know, the community cats that we couldn't touch them when they were two years old, but now they're 12 and we can hardly get them off our leg when we take food outside. So the feral label has gone by the wayside years before. So is that a cat 
that having lived outside would love to come in and maybe be on a couch or come in but have to live with barking dogs or our three other indoor-only cats who really don't want a roommate. We have to think about taking that farmer out of Montana and putting him in a condo in downtown Los Angeles. Is that what they want? And you don't know until you have the situation. So I would say if we see our cats that become unthrifty with older age and those are cats we've never touched, then you have to consider there are worse things than death. And maybe trying to keep a cat alive to make us feel better about doing something. And I don't mean that in a negative way. We all have these open hearts that we're just trying to help other animals. And sometimes helping means us having to not do something and us realizing that for this cat, bringing it inside is going to mean it's going to be scared every day the rest of its life. And would that be what we would want? Meanwhile, you have the other end of the spectrum of that cat going, yeah, man, this is nice. My food <laughs> is always warm. This couch is pretty cool. The dog is not a problem. You know, we're, we're going to have that always. And so I think people have to assess the individual cat. They've got to assess their own world. Are you taking care of an aging parent right now? Do you have three toddler children? What can you actually offer at this stage of your life versus what do we want, you know, with the Disney ending, um, which I don't generally get in my life, but some people do. You look at what your circumstances are and finances have to fall into that too, as well as do you have a veterinarian who is going to work with you in a practical way? Are they going to say, oh, I feel a mass, you need an ultrasound and a biopsy and surgery and a transfusion and, you know, that'll be $4,000, please, which most of us can't really do for every community cat out there. So do you have a veterinarian that'll say, wow, here's something that's not very good. Let's give some steroids. If the cat feels better, we'll keep them going. If he doesn't feel better, we'll help him go to heaven. You have to look at your situation in particular. And, and I say that with pet cats too. And one of the biggest choices people have to make, I push as look at your decision and will it change what you do? So will, if you run this blood test or do this biopsy and you get results, are the results going to change what you actually do? Are you going to medicate a cat if you find out it has thyroid disease or get radioactive iodine treatment or something? If you're just going to find out lab results and say, well, the cat doesn't look good and I don't have time or money, though I wish I did, or this isn't a cat I can touch, or if I medicate this cat, I won't see him for 23 hours, then don't do the test. Don't spend your money and don't put the cat through it. Is Try to use an alg algorithm that makes sense. Run the test, make a decision. If you run the test and it makes no change in your plan, I tell my clients don't spend the money. Don't put $250 into blood work that you kind of go, wow, that's interesting. Right. I'm still not going to treat him. And and you shouldn't feel guilty about saying no to diagnostics and treatment either. I, I want to impress that on people is plenty of humans out there don't pursue diagnostics and treatment because of their objection to what that entails. And, and we don't have to impose that on our cats either or dogs or horses or whatever. So give yourself 
room to say no and permission to say no and support other people who need that support, who are feeling guilty maybe about not helping an animal, but actually by doing nothing and maybe giving that cat quality of death instead of prolonging the dying period, that can be the most generous gift that you ever offer. And I think we all need to to think about that seriously and take it to heart. That's uh, great advice, not only for a cat owner, but a cat owner to actually take for their own care and their own life as we meet our own challenges that we have. Christine, if people are interested with any follow-up questions or interested in any of the resources with regards to geriatric care, how could they find you or find out more about the topic? Well, that's a good question. I'm sure there's a lot of information on the internet um, and in different places. The AAFP, which is American Association of Feline Practitioners, has a lot of reliable scientific resources. You have to be careful about what you read from uh, unreferenced places. There's a lot of information out there that I might not necessarily encourage people to believe. To get a hold of me, they probably want to go through you. <laughs> that's fine. I don't yeah, I don't have direct contact information right now. Um, I've kind of limited my practice, and I'm sure they can get a hold of me through Feral Cat Project. I'm on the board of advisors now and took a step back to finish raising my kids. So I've succeeded at that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I would encourage everyone to keep an open mind. I think we're in a in an environment where right and wrong are really trying to be defined. And I'm not sure that our world actually constitutes um, ideas that are right and wrong. Let's all try to listen to each other and understand that we come from different backgrounds and different life experiences and learn from each other and realize that we don't know everything and we never will. And the more that we listen and communicate respectfully and openly, the better off we will all be as well as all of our cats. That's a great line to, to take away. So thank you for sharing that today. And I want to thank you, Christine, for being a guest on my show. And I look forward to having you on again in the future. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats.